Welcome back everybody. It has been a hot minute since I have been out with an episode, but I promise to be back with a little bit more consistency. Today I am super excited to bring to you an interview with Melody Robinson. Melody is a field agronomist with Clark Agri Service working in the Niagara Peninsula. I had the very good fortune to work with Melody a few years ago early in my career and I think there is so much that we can all learn from this lovely lady. I really wanted to have you as a guest on one of these episodes because not only are you an amazing agronomist but I also think that you are a really incredible mentor and I feel very fortunate that I had the privilege to learn from you um, and I really feel like it has kind of helped to sculpt me and just how I view like my relationships with younger people now as well. Um, so I think that you know you're a great person for other people listening to hear from you know, if they are in mentor um, roles or management roles, just to learn a bit from you as well as for some younger people listening, you know, for them to hear from somebody that I think really takes a lot of pride in helping to cultivate young people, um, you know, they can hear from you and then maybe pick up one or two things that they're hoping to look for in a mentor down the road. So thank you very much, Melody. <laughs> That's super nice, but I have been super lucky to have uh, some really great mentors myself. So I think it's it's something that you kind of, like you said, you cultivate, like, you know, you have good mentors and you kind of, you learn their style and you, you pass it on. So thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. No, that's awesome. So I guess, um, why don't we start a bit just with your background, how you got interested in the industry. Maybe we'll touch on one or two of those mentors that you had along the way. And then um, eventually we'll roll into a bit of clay farming and what you're doing in your current role. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the egg industry? Yeah, so it, it's kind of a little bit of a weird story because I am a 100% a city kid. And um, yeah, so I went to University of Guelph. I started actually in the biomed department and realized pretty quickly that that was not something for me. And uh, I kind of was a little bit lost for a couple of years um, in undergrad looking for what really spoke to me. and. Um, Kind of floated around doing like environmental toxicology. I realized I didn't wasn't interested in the animal side of things, and that's why I'm like I kind of almost stumbled on on the plants, and I was super interested. Um, at the time, I was dating a farmer, uh, which kind of stoked the fire of of my interest as well. Lucky for and, you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And um, it's it's funny that uh, it's almost kind of the culture too at the University of Guelph that like, like if you're a non-agricultural person going into the agricultural um, studies, like you almost kind of feel like a little bit embarrassed or like unfortunate that you didn't have that background. And I, I used to kind of feel like that. And the more that I've, I've worked in the industry and, and whatnot, I really actually think that for me, it's kind of been a strength because uh, like, I just, I think I maybe look at things a little bit differently or maybe without some of the biases that people have that might be coming from a farm absolutely um, 
so yeah like that that was kind of like a, a weird stumbling block that I found in undergrad though and uh yeah so I worked at the, the University of Guelph uh, in the weeds lab as a summer student and then um through that I got offered uh, to do my master's in the weeds lab and um, at the time I didn't know what I really wanted to do and I liked the people I was working with and working for and, and that's why I pursued my master's. Awesome. So taking a step back for one second because I think that's a really interesting point just about um, you know particularly in the OAC like almost feeling like you're at a bit of a disadvantage when you don't come from a farm and I like I did come from a farm but I mean I I grew up in a pretty urban setting it wasn't like I had a lot of like farm kids as friends in high school and stuff so I went to Guelph and I almost felt like I didn't know as much about farming as I should or whatnot so I kind of feel like I know what what you're speaking to there so what suggestions would you have to um, like folks that are starting into the program now that maybe don't come from a farm background like you know how how did you find the best way to learn oh I think just absolutely embracing the fact that you aren't a farm kid and then just like being an absolute sponge and uh I kind of used my like my fact that I was you know from the city as like a, a good kind of starting like talking point for a lot of people and I was just like tell me everything like what what is sheep farming like you know what I mean like I just mm-hmm. wanted to know everything about everything and uh that was a really good way for me to learn and uh nice and, like you got to throw up that beginner card right and then yeah just likes to share <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. like you oh, got to ask good. the stupid questions without feeling like feeling stupid <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. that a lot yeah oh no that's good good deal okay um okay so going back to your master's then Tell us a bit about what, um, like what you studied during your master's, what your research was like, and just what that whole experience was like for you. Yeah, so uh, my master's was on herbicide fungicide tank mixtures in winter wheat mm-hmm. and uh, the interactions of the herbicide fungicides and then also those interactions uh, with the environment. So looking at those tank mixtures um, sprayed during like frost conditions and uh and then also like at a a late stage timing um applications of those tank mixtures so all the questions that we get asked in the springtime (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean like the 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 answers a lot of times the growers don't like but um yeah i did it (laughs) yep so um yeah so i was working in the weeds lab as an undergrad and uh, I was approached by Francois about considering doing my master's, uh, Francois Tardy. And it was a project that Mike Cobra, um, I guess he had gotten a lot of questions from growers and uh, they had received funding to do this project. And for me, I, I thought it was a super interesting project. Again, like somebody that I, I think I'm a really practical thinker. And for me, it made sense as a project because I could see that it is something that growers were asking questions about and mm-hmm. hopefully was going to give some answers. Um, I think there's a lot more smarter people that are doing, you know, all these genetic type things that uh, 
ultimately for me don't make sense (laughs) that you know contribute to the bigger picture Mm -hmm. um so for me like I I was really searching for something that was going to give an answer at the end of the day and and that's why I chose the project that I I did absolutely no that's a really good fit and um I'm sure that you know now that you're in your current role like you probably appreciate so much more just that you were able to study that project in particular. So what what did you gain from that experience? Like aside from what you've learned, because you know obviously that's invaluable information, but what else did you gain from that experience of your master's that has helped you in your career? Oh, 100% the contacts. Yeah. Um, I've, I've built great, great relationships um, with you know, the other students that were studying at the same time as me, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a couple of them have gone on to be OMAFRA uh, representatives, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I was in the weeds lab with uh, Megan Moran and, and Joanna Fallings and, um, you know, other people that have, you know, taken pretty senior roles at uh, chemical companies. And uh, again, obviously the the relationships that you make with the the professors like Francois and and Peter Sikama was my other professor that was uh, um, one of my advisors and and Mike Cobra obviously has been a huge huge uh, wealth of knowledge to me in my my current role and it's been great to have like a a, a good relationship with those people and uh, you know like I have questions for them all the time and, and no hesitation being able to email those people and get you know timely responses. And I think that that has been one of the best things I took away from from doing my master's and into the role that I am now today. Yeah, that's fantastic. And what a wealth of knowledge to be able to draw from and feel comfortable approaching um, with questions and whatnot. So that's fantastic. So tell us a bit about your current role now at Clark Agri Service. Um, You've been a field um, agronomist there for how many years now, Mel? Oh man, you make me feel old. <laughs> uh, I think eight years now. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, tell us like what drew you to ag retail and that part of the province, and ultimately what drew you to that role. Yeah. So I was actually, to tell you the truth, like a little bit hesitant about taking this role initially. Um, and I think it's actually like a, a fear that like a lot of people coming out of university have and they they see the word like sales or sales agronomist and they just think of like a used car salesman trying to pressure you into, you know, buying something that you don't really want. And that's kind of like the the idea that I thought was behind sales. And uh, I, part of the reason I was actually hesitant about taking a role in retail um, coming out of university. And, uh, you know, like I was lucky. I've had like, again, like a really strong mentor here at uh, Clark Agri Service. That's Jerry Winnicky, who's been in this role for almost 30 years. And uh, I had a chance to talk with him in my interviews. And uh, he he was one of the people that really convinced me that like, you know, being an agronomist for retail doesn't mean that you're high pressure sales. It's more about, you know, agronomy and and building relationships and then the sales are something that kind of come fluidly after after once you've created that relationship yeah and i think i mean shoot like jerry is such a good example of that and just um you know like really becoming like an integral part of a farmer's operation 
And I think that's what a lot of us strive for. But I think you're right. I think there's a lot of fear of, of sales out there. Um, I think probably a lot of folks, you know, they, they lean towards the agronomy, but the, the sales can be a bit scary for them. So your role is, is slightly different than some other um, agronomy positions. Like you've been able to bring in a bit of research and development into your role. So talk about some of the things that you've had the flexibility to incorporate into your role that have made it more fulfilling for you personally. Yeah, so um, like one of the first things that I was able to kind of implement when I started was actually bringing on like a a scouting um, staff. So that was really nice that uh, I guess my employers trusted me to, um, you know, hire more people, even though they weren't necessarily even sure what I could do yet. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, with that extra manpower, um, we were able to, you know, like you said, start doing plots and uh and testing out lots of new products and um yeah like being from like a smaller company that's you know not part of like a a big conglomerate uh, you do have a little bit more flexibility and kind of building your own role and like that's why i always tell people um when they're interviewing for like a role with us for example it's you know you have a lot of a flexibility to kind of build the role that you want uh you're not pigeonholed into to one position and just like another carbon copy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so like over the years, um, I guess maybe a little bit from like my research background uh, from doing my master's and, and some of those connections that we talked about earlier, um, like I've had the opportunity to, to try out new products, um, to do some test plots with people like Mike Cobra and, and Peter Smith from like the University of Gulf Weeds Lab as well. And, uh, you know, trying new chemicals, uh, fungicide mixtures with, you know, uh, foliar nutrients. And uh, like, yeah, there's years that usually we have anywhere from 20 to 30 plots on the go. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And like at the limitation of our soil type too, like there's years that sometimes I get zero plots in, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And so you mentioned that, um, you know, you've had the opportunity to hire scouts each season. So let's talk a little bit about that, because like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, you're an incredible mentor to the summer students that you manage each year, um, as well as the junior sales staff that have come your way. And I'm not sure if it's your role to help cultivate them, but (laughs) you definitely do seem to. I think that you're just, you know, you're a natural, a natural leader for sure. So what's your approach or your mindset towards cultivating good employees? And what are some of your goals for them each season or for their career? Yeah, so I mean, I think the it starts right from when you're interviewing, when you're selecting like those summer students. Um, for me, like I'm always looking for somebody that's super interested uh, I don't really care about their their prior experience or whether they're from a farm or, you know, whether they've picked rocks for the last five years of their life. Like for me, it's all about their interest, engaging um, how interested they are in in being in this industry and um, like kind of making a difference in, in our company. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like the, the first step. 
um, I always look for people that are like in the first or second year as well, because I think that the, they have the, the most open mind. Right. Um, so I think that that's important. But then once they start, uh, like I try to spend some time with each summer student, kind of gauging like what their interest is and what they're trying to get out of the summer. And, um, you know, I, I remember being in that position myself when I was a summer student. And uh, I think it's really important to tailor jobs to their interests and to their likes. Um, so I try to do that as much as I can. I mean, sometimes they have no choice. They're, they're solo sampling for a week straight, but that's, that's you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Um, the other thing that I always try to do with my summer students is I try to keep it fun. Um, <laughs> You know, like I try to keep it not too serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to have some flexibility with them. Uh, I remember what it was like being 21 and, you know, wanting to take off the weekend to go party or, or whatever. So I, I think that that's really important for summer students as well to have a little bit of flexibility. Yeah, that's a really good point for sure. I don't know. I always think like the whole point is is for them to learn, you know, and like I do find yeah. that you do such a great job of that, of making sure that they get the most out of their summers. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I always ask them like, Hey, like what, what do you, what is your goal at the end of after you're done school? Like, do you want to be an agronomist? Do you want to be a vet? Like, uh, you know, like I've had a, a good number of students now that are, you know, more interested in the animal side of things. So it's like, all right, you know what? Like, I talk to Jerry and we line up a, a day where they can ride around with one of us and uh, we go see like all the dairy farmers or, you know, it, it is all about like trying to tailor a little bit um, your job to to cultivating that interest in those students. Yeah. And I think that, that also, you know, gets repeat students and we've been really lucky. Like we've actually hired a lot of our agronomists um, were like former summer students. So, Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think, like, it, it might seem like such a small gesture, like what you just mentioned, say going to see some of your dairy farmer customers for a couple days out of the summer, but it's, it's really incredible how big some of those experiences are for people when they're young. I mean, I remember when I was a summer student and I thought that I was going to be a beef nutritionist, and that is just what I had my heart set on, and... Um, I uh, was working at a, you know, a nutrition research farm at the time and I got the opportunity to go out with the crop specialist for a morning and scout for armyworm and <laughs> quite a few years later, here we are. So, yeah. it's, but it, it's amazing, right? And um, so I think that's fantastic that you're thinking long term for those yeah. individuals that are working with you and really trying to help them find what they like. Yeah, like I had a little bit of like a light bulb moment this year when I had a, a returning summer student. And uh, she was actually talking to the other summer students, telling her about like the best thing that she had done the summer before. And it was digging for like black cutworm in, in corn, like newly emerging corn. And I was like, really? Like that was your favorite day from last summer? And it was kind of a light bulb because it's like, you know, something you as an agronomist, you're out doing, you know, sometimes for two weeks straight and you don't even think anything of it. But mm-hmm. it was like, you know, really interesting and, and neat for her to to do that and I was like hi huh, you know I need to take more time bringing these summer students with me on some of those like tasks that I might think are mundane or 
or I'm just so used to because those are sometimes the things that they find the most interesting. Yeah, that's so interesting. Oh, that's fun for sure. So um, you've been fortunate, obviously, like you mentioned, to have some returning summer students and that have ultimately um, become full-time employees with you. But I know like not everything is rosy within our industry. There's a lot of turnover. I don't care, you know, what company it is. It's just the time um, in this industry that we're in. So maybe talk a little bit um, about managing turnover because I know you've had some really good people come and go. And I'm sure that that's hard when you've spent time, you know, teaching them and watching them grow. So talk a little bit about managing the turnover and um, I guess maybe succession planning would be a good term for it within the business. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It is a topic that is like top of our mind all the time. Mm -hmm. Like retail is just, uh, yeah, sometimes it feels like it's a revolving door and some years, you know, I felt like, man, we have the best team ever right now. And then, you know, you lose half of them the next year. And it, it, it is really sad when you see those people go, but at the same, same time, usually you're pretty happy for them because they're, they're moving on or moving up. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, like for us managing it with the growers or for me personally, like um, what we've been trying to do or what I've been trying to do, especially like when we're training new people, is to present ourselves more as like a, a team. And uh, and for the growers, I think that's one of the most important things is that they see that there is some sort of continuity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot in this industry or in retail, like growers get so used to dealing with just like one agronomist or just one salesperson. And then when that person leaves, they feel pretty lost or they feel like that their business is at risk. Yep. And um, so that's what we've been trying to do. And it's sometimes it's, you know, it's easier said than done. But uh, that is what we try to do. But it's hard. Like it is it is so hard and it is hard to, you know, when that that good agronomist leaves to to go up to that customer and have to explain that to them that like, hey, yeah, we've lost another agronomist. Um, but I think that, unfortunately, and, and it's kind of sad that a lot of the customers are almost coming to expect it. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But. but that's, I mean, it's a good point that you made about showing a bit of a united front and, um, you know, kind of like, I guess, setting some, uh, some pride and ego aside and coming at things as more of a team approach which is, yeah. I think, definitely like one of um, your your strengths as a company, for sure, is having yeah. individuals within that business that, you know, have their strong points, but are willing to work together to do what's best for the customer. I uh, definitely yeah. felt that that was pretty cool. So, yeah, well, and, and definitely like another thing that I've definitely learned is like, you really can never talk back bad about like a comp- competitor or another company because... Uh, in this business you never know who you'll be working for next right (laughs) that is true that is a very good point absolutely yeah it is such a small community at the end of the day yeah yeah for sure so that's all good information let's jump a little bit to talking about the specific region that you work in and uh it is an entirely different animal down there working on clay so why don't you just give us a bit of an overview of what you deal with in terms of soil type drainage crop rotations and any other 
unique challenges that the area presents to you as an agronomist? Yeah, so uh, our area, the Niagara Peninsula, is very heavy silty clay. So uh, I know there's other areas of the province that are heavy clay as well. Um, not all clays are created equal and ours just seems to be particularly heavy. And it's funny, like, you know, like uh, the clay soil in Caledonia is a lot different than the clay soil out towards uh, Fort Erie, for example, right? But um, ultimately it is all pretty tough. Um, one of the upsides to it is typically land prices are a little, a little more um, reasonable than the rest of the province. Mm -hmm. uh, and rent prices are typically a little bit lower than other areas of the province. But like you said, drainage is absolutely one of the hardest things that we deal with, um, which creates a lot of field variability and a lot of challenges. Uh, winter wheat in our area is, is a huge crop uh, and drainage is one of the things that can impact a winter wheat crop the most. Um, there's lots of area of our territory that uh, does not grow corn at all just because the ground is so tough and um, we have such a higher potential for um, I don't want to say the word crop disaster but <laughs> you can you can say crop disaster crop disaster <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so so corn in certain areas is definitely something that is uh, not even on the radar for a lot of growers um, we do have a couple of areas of pockets that are like pretty nice soil like around the Waynefleet region uh, Bimbrook uh, there are some pretty reasonable soils that have excellent yield potential and uh, and you know the the prices reflect that as well um, so yeah so something that we deal with in our area too is like uh, low pHs mm -hmm. um, that certain areas of the province don't have to deal with as much so for us uh, soil variability uh, variable rate lime is a huge potential in our region is something that a lot of our growers are starting to see the value of. Um, so that's like an area that I'm kind of pretty passionate about. I know that from when you worked with me too, Michelle, like you were on the same bandwagon mm -hmm. of uh, trying to push some of our growers that didn't think that they had very good yield potential um, to start managing their fields a little more um, in depth. And, and the growers were really seeing the payback for that. Yeah, that's um, that's fantastic, and I think lime is such a great place to start because it can be so limiting, right? And um, you know, it's it's a less cost prohibitive way to get into variable rate, I would say for sure. So yeah, that's um that's interesting. So the crops then. Um, like for most of the growers that you're working with, what does their typical rotation look like? And what are some of the typical tillage practices that you would see? Yeah, so crop rotation for a lot of our region would be uh, two years soybeans, one year wheat. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, it's uh, continuous soybeans, um, which is, you know, a habit that we're trying to break with a lot of our growers. Mm -hmm. But uh you know, again, our soil type does limit and does create some more risk going into other crops. Um, yeah, or and if uh, guys are growing corn, like you almost never see uh, continuous corn down here, right. uh, unless you're in a very small pocket where maybe you have some some dairy growers. Um, yeah, lots of lots of soybeans, and uh, we actually grow really good wheat too. 
Yeah. So like average yields in our region um, on the really tough clay, like uh, 45 or 50 bushels soybeans is like a pretty uh, excellent crop. Mm -hmm. And for wheat, um, anywhere from 75 to 100 bushel is, is kind of the goal. Yeah, which is like, I mean, those are pretty darn like respectable yields, you know, I think it's, you know, there's, there's good crops to be grown. It's just higher risk of, like you say, having a bit of a disaster or an upsetting year if you get adverse conditions. What are, um, mm, this is a bit of an aside, but like, what are some of maybe the craziest experiences that you've had on clay that probably other folks farming different soil types wouldn't have run into like for example like I can remember um you know having the helicopter out to put nitrogen on wheat because it was just too wet to get in the field so are there any other um stories that you think are like very unique to the area that we need to hear about (laughs) not everyone puts nitrogen on the helicopter (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah, I mean, people always say like, oh, yeah, you have clay soil, so like you must hold lots of water. <laughs> and that is um, definitely a lie because when it gets dry, it gets really dry. So like uh, this season, for example, is a good example where I know the rest of the province had like pretty stellar uh, wheat yields. Mm-hmm. And um, I think in our area, like for the whole month of June, there was like definitely less than an inch of rain. Oh. And so um we were walking crops for uh, army worm, probably the second, third week of June. So, uh, you know, a week or two after like pollination mm-hmm. and uh, I dropped my trowel while I was walking and I dropped it and the whole trowel fell down a crack and no. I could just see one inch of the top of the handle. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it was like <laughs> almost 16 inches. And it was like, like you know, three and a half inches wide. Like I, you could almost put your boot down it. Oh my gosh! So, wow. so you talk about cracks in soil, and people are like, "Oh," and like you have not seen anything until you've seen clay get dry. Yeah. And uh, and like like that like one of my like uh, best growers, they actually had rebuilt one of their headers, and they had gone in to test their um, header after they rebuilt it um, towards the end of of June. Uh, expecting you know wheat to or I guess it was the first week of July expecting wheat you know moisture to be like 25 percent and it was like 12 percent right wow. like the wheat just died it was so dry this year yeah so yeah like the, the clay soil can be a beast just really extreme like really one extreme yeah. to the next yeah for sure yeah. yeah and just like you have to have so much patience I mean I see now um you know, just just our ability on uh, some some different lighter soil types just to get out on the field so much quicker after you get a rain. Like it it always amazes me how fast we can get on the fields after we've had a half inch rain or something. Whereas the clay, I mean, it just requires so much patience and just so unforgiving if you are out there in adverse conditions. Yeah, yeah. and like the growers, like when I first started, they always used to joke that like. The clay in the area was a three-day clay. There was like one day, the first day it was too early. The second day is the perfect day to plant. And the third day is too late. And I was like, never really understood it until a couple of years in. And it's like, it's so true. Yeah. Like, man, how can this be so dry? Like, I was here yesterday and it was too wet. Like, how did this happen? Ugh. Yeah. 
definitely character building. We'll chalk it up to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, um, like one kind of unique thing for the area is that, um, you know, there are quite a few IP growers in, uh, in the area and pretty successful IP growers, I would say. And um, so I guess that, that kind of just triggered a thought of mine, which is um, talking about weed control in that area, because I know that that's definitely a passion of yours. And, um, you know, I found you to be very successful at coming up with different concoctions that would give amazing full season control. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe talk about um, some of the main problem weeds that you deal with in the area and um, maybe some of the best ways that you have found to combat them. Oh man, there's so many. <laughs> Pick your poison. Um, I, yeah, so I guess like definitely one of like my absolute nemesis weeds would be scentless chamomile. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been a weed that like I have battled for my whole career at this company so far. And uh, it, it can be terrible and just, totally unforgiving um yeah so you know it is a, a weed with like a very small leaf surface it's you know very waxy and so a lot of herbicides have a hard time like penetrating and, and doing anything to it um and at the same time it can grow so rapidly and just become you know a two foot tall bush um pretty quickly in the spring mm -hmm. so one of the most successful ways um, that we've had controlling it actually came through an accident. Um, one of my former colleagues and I had recommended, well, we had a guy call in for a spray job and uh, we went and put on uh, a liter of Roundup for a burn down because he asked for some Roundup. And, uh, you know, it was in the middle of the spring and we went back to check the field and we almost fell over when we saw how much chamomile was in the field. And so we talked it over and like, well, you know, he just planted today. We're going to go back and we're going to spray it with uh, another, you know, liter and a half or two liters of Roundup and an Aragon. And lo and behold, like it absolutely smoked that chamomile. And going forward, we started playing around with that, that uh, kind of concoction where, you know, you went out the first week with a high rate of Roundup and then you came back a week or 10 days later and you hit it again with Roundup and Aragon. And we could not believe the control we could get on chamomile that was like an absolute bush. That's so and, intriguing. Uh, wow. Yeah. And so like the only way that we can really like explain it is like, you know, like that first dose of Roundup kind of makes the, or I guess I should say glyphosate, the first dose of glyphosate makes that chamomile kind of sick. And then that second dose, when you come back, uh, with the Aragon that just kind of fries it off is kind of what does does the killing because like the scentless camel has such a big strong taproot so I've had guys that have gone out like tried to work the ground six times to try and kill the stuff and, and it is crazy how relentless this weed is yeah so that that's one of my absolute nemesis um, another one that is a huge problem on the heavy clays um, throughout the whole peninsula would be like uh, annual bluegrass and um we seem to have it in the areas where we don't have any corn grown. And uh, so we do get some success from controlling it when we like include atrazine somewhere in our rotation. So whether that's after wheat comes off, if we put in like a product like Marksman or even just Roundup and atrazine down um, to kill the volunteer wheat, mm -hmm. um, it does a great job helping with that bluegrass. 
but we've also found that anything that has a proxy cell phone in it, so like a Zidua or a Focus um, applied either in the fall or in the spring, does an excellent job on bluegrass. Okay. So that's been one that it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, it seems like a wimpy weed until you, you go into a soybean field and you realize it's an absolute field of sod underneath. So I guess it's going to be two of my absolute nemesis. What about um? What about in uh, in the wheat? Like, have you found that by trying to combat that weed in your corn um, or soybean crops, have you been able to like re- reduce that as being a problem in the wheat crop? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like blue bluegrass. Like I've been in fields where you didn't even know that wheat was planted, um, and then the guy was able to get pretty successful control. Um, just after a year or two and man what a difference in the wheat like that that bluegrass oh I could show you pictures it just absolutely sucks away all the nitrogen from that wheat and uh, is like such a yield killer in wheat yeah yeah no kidding so now that Clark's um, has acquired a new location in Waterford I don't know how much opportunity you've had to work out that direction as well once you get onto some lighter ground. But if you have, like, what are some of the biggest differences that you've noticed between cropping systems um, and weed control going from clay to sand? Oh, I've been doing very little with Waterford. Um, Okay. Yeah, like, (laughs) I've been afraid of it. (laughs) (laughs) Go from one extreme to the other, right? But I, yeah. yeah. Like definitely herbicide residuals is definitely things that I really rely on as like a crutch on the clay. You have to be so much more careful with uh, on on the sand, and even sure. just uh, like on the clay where we have uh, you know guys that um, maybe historically have not been fertilizing as aggressively as they should be, where mm-hmm. get away you know putting some some seed placed fertilizer like you know map with or even a little bit potash in with beans um like you definitely can't get away with that kind of stuff on on the the sand so that's yeah I've been a learning curve but I've I've uh been kind of avoiding it (laughs) see how long I can keep avoiding it (laughs) stick with what you're good at (laughs) yeah right (laughs) one trick pony here (laughs) (laughs) oh that's that is interesting though I'm sure it's kind of neat to have some uh different people to bounce things back and forth with though so that's good um so I guess like next steps what direction are you heading with some of your growers I know that you talked about variable rate lime a little bit um maybe just talk about you know what you're trying to improve on farm with some of those little growers um and where you're heading with variable rate applications in your area yeah so um like we definitely have like a huge and i'm sure it's true in other parts of the province too but like a huge range in like grower um capabilities and i don't know if that's the right word i want to say adoption adoption yeah adoption yeah. absolutely grower adoption of like technologies equipment um like we have you know have some growers that are you know very very successful and uh, highly advanced and then we have some that are not and for going down this route towards like variable rate and precision agri growers and trying to kind of create a program that is 
inclusive that uh, like growers don't feel like they have to have like the absolute top of the line equipment and whatnot to be able to get into this program. So like that's been something that I've been really interested in kind of pushing with our growers. Um, so like we've been, you know, we've had growers that don't have the yield monitor and don't think that they can do precision egg because they don't have a yield monitor, for example, or, you know, they don't have a, a planter that's capable of doing variable rate seeding. And it's like, yeah, you know what, there's so many things that we can do without those tools uh, and still make a difference on your farm and capture variability. And we've been working with Veritas um, for the last couple of years and like they've been huge mentors to us as well. And uh, and they've been super receptive to coming out and working with our growers and, and teaching us along with the growers. So like imagery, for example, like if you can get a really excellent wheat crop and that you think, you know, captures the essence of your field and you can get an image at the right time of the season, you can get an image that is very close to what a yield monitor would pull off. And from there you can capture variability in that field. Um, you can draw zones, take soil samples, uh, and you know, you can do all the things that these, you know, uh, bigger growers are doing with the fancy equipment on, you know, uh, without with all those without all the fancy tools, right? Yeah. So that's been something that I've been trying to pursue with a lot of my growers. And I've always been surprised um the different motivations for the growers that i'm working with and going to precision egg like some people think it's you know gonna save them money or like some people think it's like just makes sense like i'm you know spending all this money on fertilizer like why am i always just putting the same rate across the field like i should be putting it you know more more in some areas and less in other areas and you know some people think like, oh, I'm only doing this for the lime and then they see the lime and then they get hooked on on the rest of it. Right. So it, it is really interesting seeing the different motivations and the different way that it pans out. And it's it's not like a one size fits all for all the growers. And that's what I kind of like about the precision egg side of things in our region. Yeah, I think that's such a great point just to highlight that it's you're not taking a, a cookie cutter approach to precision egg and I think you know that's one of the reasons it's so important to have good people at the retail level is to understand some of those differences that you just highlighted and you know the different values that people have um, some different ways of thinking but then also being able to you know articulate to them um, different methods of accomplishing a goal and showing them that you know you don't need to have all the equipment we can start here you don't necessarily have to jump in with both feet but you know let's let's start working on this on a small scale so that highlights a lot of a lot of really good points and you know the fact that you're working in an area of the province like you mentioned that doesn't always have the highest yielding crops and can definitely um, you know, face some like harsher cropping conditions. I think that um, it's a really cool example to show the rest of the province of what can be done if, if you're able to accomplish this with your growers down in, um, you know, an area that, you know, maybe doesn't have the best soil types in the world. So I think that that's awesome what you're doing. Yeah. And I think like it kind of like, I don't know, maybe it's like the theme for our talk today is like more talking back to like mentorship and uh, like finding somebody in that, that precision egg space 
that can that knows more than you and has more experience and uh and you know having them help you like for us that was veritas i know there's other companies out there that do it as well but um like that has been such a huge huge part of our success is you know kind of learning from what other people have been doing right yeah absolutely and with it being a relatively new space it is amazing to be able to draw on that experience for sure yeah so so one question that i always love to leave with and i'm always really interested to see what take people um have for this is if you could just share with us like one area of agronomy or crop protection that you feel we could really improve upon as a province that is such a hard question and i was kind of <laughs> hoping that you would forgotten about it won't forget never forget <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, like, I mean, like, there's so many things that I could say, but I don't know, and like, maybe true female fashion, I'm going to really make it all about me. Do it. And, um, <laughs> like, I, I think one way that we could approve that would, you know, like, help our region is, uh, like, on the provincial stage, on the, the federal stage, like, where they're doing all kinds of research, uh, it seems like they always do research in kind of like the, the highly productive areas, right? Like a lot of uh, the weed research on herbicides, um, you know, the the cropping systems research, like they're doing it in, in Ridgetown, they're doing it in, in Woodstock and, you know, like Allura on these fantastic soil types. And a lot of that research doesn't necessarily um, translate to like the region that I I work in, right? Yep. And um, like, like, to use an example would be like all the cover crop uh, research that's happening. Like a lot of the things that they do won't necessarily work or work the same on our soil type, right? And so if there could be more research on some of these like fringe soil types, like, you know, on the heavy clays, on the sharp sands um, to see like the difference, the differences, I think that that would be a huge step uh, in the right direction in terms of uh, like making agriculture better across the whole province. That's a, that's a really good point. And um, I definitely know what you're speaking to for sure, um, just from having worked in the area. But then also, um, you know, working on some different soil types that are so much more forgiving, it seems like we can get away with so much. And so you know, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, you know, like just plant green, just no-till into that and everything's going to come up roses, right? And um, I think sometimes that that gives a bit of false confidence to some growers um, that are working on more adverse conditions, right? And then, um, you know, they may try it and not see the same results in it doesn't necessarily mean that you know plant green isn't going to work just as an example right doesn't necessarily yeah. mean it's not going to work but just haven't figured out how to make it fit for that specific region so yeah that's Absolutely. a that's a really good point for sure so just to to see some more more research done on some of those um different soil types yeah absolutely yeah yeah, so that's that's my wish list. I think that'd be really great to see a little more research on on some different soil types. Yeah, that's a good wish. I like it for sure. 
<laughs> well, Melody, thank you so much for taking the time today to just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, like I said, I think um, there's a lot that people can learn from you. Um, just in your leadership skills, um, as well as being a phenomenal agronomist and fantastic advocate for the farmers of Haldeman and Niagara. So um, I hope that, you know, whenever we can get back to farm shows and all that fun stuff, like I hope people do approach you because I think that you have um, so much to share with everyone. So thank you again very much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. For more episodes, please subscribe. You can find updates to new episodes on my Twitter at prosperityag0l.